I wanted to start this morning with this verse. This verse is found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's found in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, within that Sermon on the Mount, this is known as the Beatitudes. And uh, it is a significant statement that Jesus made. He said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God uh, likes peace. God works for peace. Matter of fact, if you think of uh, our nation, our nation is obviously finding it hard or fairly difficult to find the middle right now and, and to be able to fight in a fair way. Jesus is known for many things, but one of his most famous, and I would say long for titles, is Prince of Peace. If you think about the people you talk to, whether it's the presidential election, whether it's the hurricane, whether it's uh, the scare of an earthquake down in California that just kicked up last week, uh, all that kind of stuff, one of the things that uh, people long for is peace. Could things just be at peace? As David wisely pointed out last week, trust is hard to come by in this world and must be worked at. So it is true that peace in this world is also hard to come by and must be worked at. He pointed out that every uh, marriage is based on trust and that trust is hard to maintain because every marriage is the combination of two sinners. Right? We don't realize that when we're at the altar marrying each other because we say we have rose-colored glasses and what that means is we see the good in each other, right? That doesn't occur to us that there's a dark side to it, that there's a flip to it, that not only the person I'm marrying, but I, the one being married, have an ugly side and that that's going to come out in the relationship because there's nowhere to hide that. And so often our marriages can be drastically without peace, Peace can be an elusive commodity uh, in our world, especially in marriage. Why is that so? Well, let's, let's just explore a couple reasons. I made a list. It took me all of 15 seconds to put this list together. See if you recognize some of this. Six reasons that we fight unfairly. All right? Here's what I came up with. Number one, ego. All right? Pride, will, stubbornness, insecurity, etc. I mean, right? I just want it that way. I want it my way. We're going to, I'm not doing that. I'm digging my heels in. You can't make me yada, 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 right? That's not just junior high. How about this one? I got to win. I don't really care if I'm right or wrong. I just want to win, right? And I'll do whatever it takes so I win this argument, even if I look like a donkey's butt doing it, all right? And doggone it, you're not going to beat me. How many fights turn into real grisly things simply over this issue? I got to win. Third one. Here's one that we're really good at and we never talk about. Recognize this one? I got to have it. And whatever it takes for me to do to manipulate you to get what I want, I'm going to do. Okay? Be it sex. We'll talk about that next week. Be it Material things, be it leverage, be it whatever, I, I need to leverage this and you're in my way and so obviously you're going to need to get leverage to get where I want to go. And boy, God help you if you try to stop me because then I'm going to jump back to the first two. How about this one? Just mean. Just mean. Why? Because I want to be. 
just mean with my words, mean with my tongue, mean with my attitude. Um, I'm either going to be mean, or I'll beat you to death with silence. Right? I'll just be mean with my silence. I'm not saying nothing, but I ain't happy either. Right? You ever walk through a house and just feel that? Nothing's being said. We're not fighting. Right? But we're just being mean. Snotty. This one. Miscommunication or misunderstanding. How often is it, I know why you did that. Well, why did I do that? You did that because of this. I did not. Yes, you did. I've watched you. I know your patterns. I know you better than you do. That's why you did it. That is not why I did it. Oh, yeah. Right? And guys and gals, have you noticed we're different now? Right? But I mean, not just talking physical differences. We're wired differently. So we see things and we say things and we approach things quite differently. And what we think we really know is fact, actually and true, is a fallacy because that wasn't why they were doing it. But we're so convinced we have to make them convinced that that's why they were convinced they were doing it. Right? And so all kinds of miscommunication, misunderstanding takes place. Here's the last one that we don't take, pay enough attention to. There's another voice. You ever get into a discussion in your marriage that felt like somebody dumped gas on it and the thing suddenly raged out of control? That's because somebody did get dumped gas on it. There's another voice. And that voice has to work very carefully to make sure it is not recognized as another voice. Because if it's recognized then immediately you would know what's going on and you would go the other way. And so that voice has to stay on the edge of the conflict. It has to stay just tucked back enough that your momentum's out in front and all you can see is you. But it's very good at just bumping you a little farther out the edge than where you wanted to go. A bit past where you actually wanted to stop and make it accentuate it just a little bit to accent it a little bit more, to color it a little bit deeper than what it really was. And the next thing you know, you're engulfed and you can't figure out how you're engulfed. Matthew isn't the only storm raging in our country this morning. There are storms in our marriages that are also creating destructive damage in our marriages and families. When it comes to marriage, the old saying is that all is fair in love and war. Why do we know that so well? Because in our marriages, we use the same tactics as are used in war. What are the tactics in war? There is an enemy. Kill the enemy. Take them out. Whatever it takes to annihilate them, annihilate them. And we see this carried out, right? In uh, the courts today, the favorite saying uh, is irreconcilable differences. Right? And so, therefore... You are opposed to me and I, I need to take you out. We have an enemy, either husband or wife, and the goal is to destroy the enemy. Now, there's a number of combinations that are possible when it comes to fighting in a marriage. Now, this morning as I'm talking, you're not going to get a lot of Scripture from me, but I want to tell you where you can go to get a lot of Scripture. There's three chapters that I would point you to specifically. If you want to explore this a little deeper, Galatians chapter 5 is a chapter that I would point you to. That's the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And then Ephesians chapter uh, 4, 5, and 6 all work, but especially chapter 4, put off the old self, put on the new self. And then Colossians chapter 3. Watch what those chapters say in regards to fighting and how you should fight 
and in terms of conflict, and you'll find tremendous instruction in there. But as I mentioned, there's a number of combinations. What do they look like? Let's look at a few of these. When we come to Christ and are saved, we know that we receive a new nature. We receive a nature from the Holy Spirit that is a gift of grace to us. And that is awesome. And it covers and and clears a lot of stuff. But the old nature, the crooked nature, the sin nature is still in us as well. And so there's a number of possibilities that happen when a situation arises in a marriage over which a fight could occur. The first one would be this one. Here you have a husband and a wife, and they are having a discussion. In that discussion, while they're having that discussion, they are both under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because they're both under the control of the Holy Spirit, and because they are both listening carefully, the discussion which could go sideways actually doesn't. Because they are listening to what the Spirit tells them. And when the Spirit says, no, 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 don't, don't say that. Or at least don't say it that way. Back up a little bit. Pray a little bit. What, what's a better way to say that? And because they both do, it stays fair, it stays clear, and there's a, a middle they're going after, and they're actually able to find middle. But that is not always the case. Sometimes what happens is we have one person, in this case the husband's being a doorknob, all right, and he's in the flesh and he's just owly and curmudgeonly and just not happy with life, period. But his wife is walking. And his wife knows that it's just been a bad week and she knows this isn't really real and she knows he's just frustrated. So she is able wisely to kind of feather, kind of defer, kind of soften up and... Uh, and so the discussion never gets out of hand. Not because the husband wouldn't have taken it there, but simply because the wife was wise enough to understand what was going on, and she began to pray and realized she can't change him. So God, that's your son. I can't really talk to him right now. Could you talk to your son and help him? And because of that, it doesn't turn into an argument. The flip is also true. Many times a wife can get overwhelmed, become very fearful and start to grab all kinds of things and uh, much like a person drowning, grabbing at anything around. And usually it's the husband who's closest and so he gets grabbed and he's like, how did I get in the middle of this, right? But if he's walking, he can say, hey, honey, let's slow down a little bit. I I used to tell Pam uh, when it was her time of month, I said, you know, this is not a time to make major life decisions. You laugh, but there's great wisdom to that. You come back a week later, it's an entirely different discussion. All right? And I had learned that from my mentor, Jan. Be careful. Be gentle. Be wise. Don't react. Just stop for a bit. Slow it down. And a godly husband helps a wife with that. Says, you know what? Slow down a little bit. Let's pray together. We'll find middle. I don't know where it is either, but we'll, we'll find middle. Unfortunately... Often this is the case. The week's been hard. Both have struggled. Warfare's been on. They aren't recognizing it. And they're just irritated. And so the first thing that comes into view catches their flack with their irritation. And usually that's the person you see the most. And the person you see the most is usually your husband and wife. Right? And off it goes. And because both are operating in the flesh, they are not listening to the Holy Spirit. And because they aren't listening to the Holy Spirit, Satan's free to dump 
And as he dumps, it just flames and the whole thing burns down. And the next thing you know, she's upstairs crying. He's in the garage going, what the heck just happened? You wish it would be that clean, but the truth is enormous damage happens when that happens. Trust is broken. Peace is broken. Relationship has become very uh, frayed. And so as a result, then, a couple has a really hard time. Often it can take weeks, if not months, to rebuild that trust that was fractured in that 5 to 10 to 15 minute period where the discussion went on together. So here's the catch. The problem with this diagram, and I recognize it instantly, is that very seldom are we all one thing. Right? You know how you get into marriage and you always, you never? Nobody always or nevers. Okay? Right? We're a blend of things. I realize I just said never. Yes, I got it. English majors, leave me alone. Okay? We're blends of things. Sometimes we're, you know, 90% wine and spirit, but there's 10% of us that's tweaked. Sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes, you know, 50-50. Sometimes 20-80. It all depends on where the swing is going at the moment. There's currents. And depending on where that lands and how the husband and wife come at it, when they connect, the awareness of that really goes a long way to determining how will that discussion turn out. Will it turn out as a, a positive thing and a kingdom thing for the couple, or will it turn out to be a blow-up? Will it turn out to be an argument that does damage? And so when we um, label that stuff as you always or you never, we're missing the idea that both of these are operating at the same time. And as a result, it creates a lot of dysfunctional marriage patterns when it comes to how and when we fight. If you have thought of it and looked back, one of the things you can do is look back to how did my parents fight and why did they fight? I have couples who show up in my office and I ask them, how did your parents fight? Oh, they never fought. Your parents never fought. Never fought. Steve never saw them once. Wow, that's amazing. Now they did get divorced. (laughs) But they never fought. Right? That is not true. They did fight. You just never saw it. And as a result, you are extremely handicapped because you could not watch the patterns and how they handled conflict. You had nothing to go off of. And so you go off of what friends' families did or that kind of stuff, or you look around, but you can't track actually what's the pattern of conflict that's being handed down to you in your marriage generationally with the generational train coming down the tracks. When it comes to spiritual warfare, engaging in all of this, one of the shrewdest things Satan does is to convince us that our spouse is our enemy. They say they love you? Ha! How dare they? Don't they know? Right? Now again, he has to be subtle, but he is very good at the auto-suggestion that your spouse is actually the enemy. In the marriage series that we're running on Sunday nights uh, upstairs called What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp? One of the things he points out really clearly is he says, you have to understand something. Your spouse is not your enemy. If I were going to say something today and you were to hear me, hear this. Your spouse is not your enemy. There is a real enemy that you should be much more afraid of than your spouse. 
It's the one who sets up and manipulates and, and pauses us against each other. Pits us against each other is the actual word I was looking for. All right? He's the one that we have to be more worried about. And because your spouse is not your enemy, therefore they should not be treated like one. Because when we decide that our spouse is our enemy, then we are free, because all things are fair in love and war, we are free to treat our spouse like an enemy. And you do not have the freedom from the Spirit of God to treat your spouse that way, be you male or female. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is your partner. Your spouse is your helpmate. Your spouse is your leader. Your spouse is the person that God gave you. I remind Pam all the time, I am the answer to your prayers. (laughs) Seems pretty ironic sometimes, doesn't it? Be very careful what you pray for. All right, so then the question arises, why do we fight like that? Well, let me give you a couple marriage models. Um, so there's some ways that it works out because of this and because of the, the domination model. The person just dominates. The other person wouldn't dare raise opposition because all hell would break loose. And they know that it would just mean absolute chaos. And so they never raise a flag. They never raise an objection. They simply submit. It can work the other way as well, where it's just not worth the fight. You just shake your head and go, you know, let them win. It's all right. It, it just isn't worth the fight. Very seldom, though, are we that acquiescent to just rolling over. Okay, Most of us, if we married somebody who's stubborn, we have a fair amount of stubbornness ourselves. Pam would get mad at me and say, you are so stubborn. I go, well, that's the pot calling the kettle black. Hey, you didn't laugh at that one. She's so sweet. She sings up here. Oh, they, you must be wrong. No, trust me. We're very strong-willed. Okay. My wife comes from a total matriarchal family. I come from a patriarchal family. Jump. Yes, sir. How high and how long would you like me to hang? And we both argue over who's in control. Okay. And so I bet that's the same for you. And so very seldom do we just roll over. Usually what happens is we take more of this. We start duking it out, right? Verbally, emotionally, whatever tactics we take, but we start duking it out. And we know, right? You know when a fight's starting, you can tell, you can feel it coming. You ever walk in the door and never say a word and you're already in a fight? Right? Boom. How do we know that? Uh, Engaged couples go, well, how could that be possible? You didn't say anything. Well, 60% of all communication is nonverbal. You don't have to say a blasted thing and you can be in a royal Donnybrook together, right? Just look at the countenance, right? Our body language tells us all kinds of stuff. And we pick up, we get really good at picking it up on it. Okay, I'll go out in the garage, all right, it's good. And so what happens is we start fighting. Now, usually in a fight, one of the partners is more willing to jack up and ratchet the emotional intensity of the argument. They are not afraid if, if it's 0 to 10 and they know 10 is going to be a major blowout, they are going to raise and jack it up. The other person will go along for a while. Okay, it goes from a 2 to a 4 and jacks back and forth. gets up, But then all of a sudden it goes from a 6 to an 8. And you have either this model here where uh, the, the, the wife says, okay, that's too high. If we take this further, 
this is going to really cause some severe damage. And, and yes, I could go there, and I can match you toe for toe, and doggone it, I, I, I want to, but for the sake of the children, I'll, I'll accede. And so they drop the fight, and the other person goes, good, I won. Obviously, that can work the other way just as well, right? But there are different battles of which we are willing to raise the ante, so to speak. I'm going to take you to a place where it's so emotionally dangerous for you, you will not want to go there. And therefore, I win by default because I was willing to take a risk. Now, stop a minute and think. Is that in the spirit or the flesh? Why would you want to push something that far? Well, because we've got to win. That desire to win in us is extremely strong. And we work at that more than we think we do. Remember what I said earlier, all's fair in love and war? We use the tactics of war, not the tactics of the Spirit, when we fight. And therefore, the goal is to eliminate the enemy, and we get hooked on that and do everything we can to eliminate the threat, even if it's our spouse. What's behind that? Oh, we have this model too. Today, right? Just stay busy. Just stay busy. Everybody keep working. Everybody work. Everybody go. Everybody fast. Fill it up. I mean, right? There's so much entertainment and so many things you can watch. and so many th- You never have to have a conversation. Or, How are you doing? Good. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. You got anything tonight? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll see you when you get home. All right. Right? And we never talk. We don't have talk because we're afraid a fight will break out. What's... Um, Behind the curtain. Let's look at this. Usually what we say is, you make me so angry. Pam and I were going to do a marriage seminar in, uh, in the airport at SeaTac. We found this sticker that was absolutely hilarious. And it said, you but, or how did it say? I love you today more than I did yesterday. Because yesterday you really bugged me. And when we brought that to the marriage seminar, man, people were rolling on the ground going, ah, that's so funny, you know, right? Unfortunately, it's not all that funny because yesterday you really did bug me. Well, what happened? I got angry. Anger is uh, a secondary emotion. It never exists by itself. Something causes anger. And so, uh, for example, just think of road rage, right? I'm going down the road. There's a trigger. I'm going down the road and there's a space in front of me. I have gained intellectual assent of that space in front of me. I think it's mine. Somebody moves into that space. What happened? Right? You stole my space. Now, do you own that space? No, it's not even permanent. You're rolling down the road. It's not even a permanent. It's just a temporary, not real space that somebody else had to get over so they could go out the exit lane. And yet we treat it like what? My space. You took my space. And so we get into... Uh, We get angry. But what's behind anger? If you think about the illustration I just used, what's behind anger is rights. I have a right to that space. And often when we get in marriage and what the fights are over, I have rights. Don't you dare walk on my rights. Because if you do, I will flame on you. Because those are sacrosanct and those are my rights. Now, in the Christian world, do we have rights? Yeah, we do. We have the right to surrender. We have the right to obey. We have the right to put all the cards in Jesus' basket. Do we have rights? No, we gave those up. 
then how are they still all there? Because the old nature doesn't die so easy. And we are suddenly in a battle over rights. What's behind that? What's behind rights is pride. No, you won't. You aren't doing that. You, you want pain? I'll give you pain. You push that any further? You are starting to get into territory where I do not want you to go. We're going to look at trespassing in just a second. And you are not getting past there. This is often a barrier. Nobody gets past this. Why? Because behind that is usually fear. Usually in guys and gals, we operate quite flipped in the sense that usually guys, it's, pr- it's pride with fear behind it. For gals, it's usually fear with pride behind it. So coming into that conflict, we come at it differently. All right? But we don't want anybody into this arena. Nobody gets past the shield I put up on the pride side because I don't want you to see that because what's behind the fear? Usually things like this. There's some wounds there. There's some things that have been really hurtful that have really damaged me and I haven't fixed them yet and I don't even know how to talk about them yet and I don't want you walking back in that closet. Uh, Insecurities. Anybody in here have insecurities? Right? We're too tall, we're too short, we're too fat, we're too thin, right? Your hair's curly, I want straight hair. My hair's straight, I want it curly. Uh, your nose is too big, your butt's too small, well, hypothetically speaking, right? And <laughs> we have envy over everything. We're ridiculous. And so we have all kinds of insecurity. And we think, oh, when I get married, that's so wonderful. All my insecurities will go away. No. All my insecurities get looked at 24-7. That's not cool. Who let them in? You did. Oh, well, I better create something so they stay out. How well does that work? It doesn't work very well. All right, shame. Things that I've done. Things, if I told you, really, you you wouldn't want to be with me anymore. You wouldn't want me anymore. I I can't let you in. And then uh, control. I've said, you've heard me say, but in America, the drug of choice is control. All right? We are massive control freaks. We are out of control with control. We want to hammer it and steer it and choke it so that absolutely nobody else, we want to be God. We want to set it up so that nobody can move into my turf. Now, singles, for a second, stop and listen to me and listen to me very closely. If you are dating somebody and they have anger, And you say, oh, I should have done something different because I made them mad. No, 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 no. Listen to me. They are angry and it's not going to go away if you marry them. Because behind there, there's all these things that they are not willing to deal with. And if they're not willing to deal on their anger on the surface, do you think when they get married to you, they're going to deal with these root issues? No. If they really love you, they will deal with those root issues before they marry you. And you tell them so, male or female. Go to counseling, go do something. I'm not marrying that. That's ridiculous. But we say, oh no, if I were just different, they wouldn't be angry. No. Can you hear that? That's not loud enough. No. They won't change. You're going to get what you saw because it's back there. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. Here's how we want it to work. We want Jesus to start on the outside and we want him to go and work through these layers and 
we might not even let him in there. And Jesus pays no attention to that whatsoever. He goes right to the heart of the matter, blows it up and says, deal with this. Right? Hasn't that how he's done with you? We hold him out here and he zips right behind all your defenses and says, you need to work with this. The kingdom of God starts with you. Now, if you're sinners and you're already married, well, too bad, there's no hope. But, um, <laughs> no, where do you start? You start with working at center. Let Jesus in the control center. We say we do that. But by our fights and by our actions, we show we don't. And it makes a great deal of difference in the kingdom of God. It makes a great deal of difference in the church. It makes a great deal of difference in the community. It makes an awesome difference with our children. They know. They pick up on it. With that in mind, I want to talk about this idea of trespassing. We don't often think about it as trespassing because when we get married, we think we've, um, we've joined everything together. Why, Steve, we've even joined our bank accounts, right? That's all serious. I have a license, right? We do that kind of stuff. But the truth is it takes time to blend. It takes time to bring things together, and we often trespass against each other. The Lord's Prayer, right? We know this. Give us our day, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those uh, forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you go in the old translations, uh, John Barhanovich and I both grew up in a Catholic background, it reads like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay? That adds a totally different slant to it. Because in marriage, think if this is not true, we trespass against each other all the time. Next week, we're going to talk about sex. Come back. Bring friends. Should be fun. <laughs> we'll talk about seven battles in marriage, but the second battle in, is called loyalties. And loyalties are the unwritten rules that exist in marriage that you don't know are rules. Let me say that again. Loyalties are the unwritten rules that exist in your marriage that you don't know are rules. How many of you got married and then suddenly discovered there was a rule you never talked about before? I know with Pam and I, it was shoes in the house. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. She didn't. I was mowing the lawn. I wanted a glass of water. I walked out. Da, 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 da. I thought that I brought a snake in with me. Okay. What? That? What? What? Shoes? Yeah, people wear them. <laughs> Not in my house. This isn't your house. This is my house. You moved in with me. Yeah, you can see how far that went. <laughs> we don't wear shoes in our house. Who's the we? You got a mouse in your pocket? I just wanted a glass of water. There's grass. Well, it's a hardwood floor. Sweep it out. I mean, you know, right? I said, look, I grew up on a farm. She says, you're not on a farm anymore. Deal with it. <laughs> Guess who won that argument? We don't wear shoes in our house. Right now. There was an unwritten rule that caused tremendous consternation for both Pam and I that we did not know was a rule. Because I was trespassing. Whether I knew it or not, it certainly wasn't intentional. But there was a rule set in motion that I didn't even realize that I was crossing. And because of that, anger sprung up. And we had to work through that together. And we've had hundreds of those kind of things. They're all over the place. They're like little landmines. You watch somebody get mad. Oh, we broke a rule. What's the rule? And that's what we've learned to do. What's the rule? Once we can articulate the rule, it really helps us to say, is that a fair rule or not? Is that something we really can or want want to be able to live with. 
I want to take this idea of trespassing a, a little farther. Ideally, the Prince of Peace gives us peace in our relationship, right? But because we live in a fallen world and because there is such a thing as warfare in our sinful nature, often when we're trying to communicate to you, this gets broken up by what I call perception filters. Perception filters are the filters through which I look at reality. And I have noticed that my wife does not have the same set of perception filters as I do. Right? And so often when we try to communicate, it's actually uh, like a lot of static on the radio because everything's distorting and it's not lining up and we're just talking at each other. And often when this happens, where it really tends to escalate is when there's a problem. Right? So for example, uh, let's say we're going to plan a date night and Pam and I want to go out on a date night. We get all excited. That's cool. It's Friday night. We got a free night. Kids are oh, really get excited about that. And then Pam calls me and says, hey, hon, the, the washing machine broke down. And on the way to the house, I, the brakes on the car give out. And then when I get home, I realize, oh, there's a bill we hadn't even anticipated. Now, not only does not Pam, but I do not get the date night we were looking forward to. We now have three problems we don't know how to fix. Right? We got this amount of money. We got three things that are going to swallow it all up. Now what do we do? Right? And often in that, we get mad. Well, why didn't you look at that better? Well, how come you didn't track that better? Why weren't you more proactive? Yada, yada, right? You know how it goes. And so what we do is we talk at each other through the problem. And the problem acts as a perception filter and distorts the entire communication. We can't not only find middle, we can't find each other. We're a million miles apart emotionally. And what Jan, my mentor, taught us, he said, when, before we get married, he gave us some very profound marriage advice. We sat down with Pam and I, and he said, look, here's the deal. You two are both very successful people. You're both very well-educated people. You are both um, come from great families, um, and you've got great careers. And he said, uh, that all works really well, but the problem is that because of those things, you're almost always sure you're right. And 90% of the time you are. And that is going to cause tremendous problems in your marriage because you're both going to think you're right. And when you think you're right, you're going to argue over who's righter. And some problem's going to pop up and you're going to get mad at each other and you are going to argue over the rightness. And he says, where the sin comes into it, you'd much much rather be right than right with each other. And you know what? He was dead on the money. He was absolutely true. We'd rather win than be right with each other. And here's what he taught us. He says, look, every time Sharma and I did that, we've lost tremendous territory in our relationship. And he says it took a long time to rebuild. He said, when there's a problem, and he said this specifically to me, Steve, you're going to have to recognize as the guy, you've got to lead in this and you get to lead in submission. He says, so often guys think we get to lead in bossiness. And control, He says, no, you get to lead in, in submission and, and humility. And he says, so when a problem like this, and you see this starting to rise, you realize there's friction, you have to come over to the other side and agree the relationship's more important than the problem. And he says, Steve, you've got to get to the place where you really actually believe that instead of just mimic it because she's intuitional and she'll pick up that you're not being genuine. And if you move over towards her and you aren't genuine, she won't trust you. I thought that was pretty insightful. And then he said, then what you need to do 
is turn that problem over to God. Because in your humanness, you're not going to be able to find middle. You're not going to be able to find the solution. But he says, if, if what's true that's happened for Sharmanai will be true for you and Pam, he says, as you pray, God will reveal middle to you. And I have to tell you, in all honesty, it's one of the most amazing things that happened because we cannot see any kind of solution. And we spend time praying. Now, sometimes we have to pray weeks or months about something. Sometimes five minutes. But when we pray, all of a sudden God reveals the solution. Bang, right there. And we're like, you have got to be kidding me. How could we not see that? That was so simple. And yet when we were looking at it from opposite directions, we couldn't see it. All right? And so this morning, is it more important that you win? That you're right? Or is it more important you're right in the relationship? Let's pray. Father, as we've walked through this, I know it hits home. It hits home with me, and I know this hits home with my friends. Gives you great ground, Lord, to have conversation. Great place where your spirit can work and prod. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning that you will use this in a positive way as a way of encouragement. Lord, the song we're going to sing really points it all right back to where we need to be. And I pray this song will minister to us as we think about what we've shared together as a body. And I ask this in your name. Amen.